Welcome to another edition of the Honest series on Heritage Month here on CTFM and CCTV. My name is Bernard Avle. Today we're looking at the Gunja. They are the predominant inhabitants of the Savannah region. My guest with Gudakrankra will help trace their history, their evolution, and also some of the key places within that enclave. If you're on the Heritage Caravan, watch out for the very impressive uh, mosque at Larabanga. Watch out for the mystic stone not too far from there. And of course, the major entry into the Mole National Park is through Gunja land. And of course, as we speak, the Yabwangura has died and we are told there's going to be plans to be announced concerning his final resting place. So all of that will be part of our conversation. Good to have you. Thank you. It's an interesting time. I'm always linking this to the Heritage Caravan because as people move around the country, for me, one of the most exciting parts of the drive for me was in Gunja land because we had come from the Western Corridor and then we got to um, solar areas and then we sort of moved into uh, uh, Bole and then Bamboy and that, that part of town and of course as I mentioned the Larabanga Mosque brilliant. So who are the Gonjas? So the Gonjas are for now you describe them as um, amalgamation of the Mbanya as well as Nyamesi as well as the Bifo and then what you call the Anye. All these cluster of people comes together to become what is called Gunja. And I will explain it. So the Mbanya, so, the, the rulers? Yes. Nyamasi? Who are the autochthonous uh, the people or the pagan communists? And then the Muslim and community? The Muslim community. The Karamu. 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 Karamu is Karamu. a short, short form of Karamoku. Karamoku. One who is a learner. And then you have the Anye, Anye the slaves. So there are four so groups. Mbanya, Nyamasi, Karamu, and Anye. Uh-huh. Good. So the history is that the area now called Gonja was originally inhabited by the autochthonous people or the aboriginals, which are the Chorobu, Mputu, uh, Damputu. Damputu, the Empre, as well as the Beri people who were there. And in fact, even within them, you have the Vagala, Tampoluma, and others who were also interspersed within. So what happened is that the original, the rulers are called the Mbaya. So the language they speak today is Mbaya language or Mbaya talk. The Mbaya has been anglicized to Gunja. Oh, really? Yes, so the Mbaya has been anglicized to Gunja. The rulers that came to found this kingdom were originally Mende people. And the history traced them from two sources of how they came to the area. The first explains that when the Moroccans Invaders invaded the Songhai Empire in around 1590s. The Mende people who were there fled southwards, and some of them came all the way in a desire to find a new land. When they came to the enclave around what is today Gonja land, they started conquering the territories there, dislodging the autochthonous people, and then making towns out of them. The other side of it is that. They are deemed to be uh, the leader, which is the Endewule Japa, was said to be sent by the Naba, who ruled the Mende area, to as a punitive expedition into Bego. Bego is a pre-colonial business center, which has the Namfara people, who are from the Sonofu area in the Burkina Faso and other areas. So they are just like the Mende, in a way. So when he was sent in this expedition to come to Bego, when he went there, he realized that there were a lot of Muslims and then this Nafara people. So he couldn't 
engaged in expedition. So on his way back, when he reached Bernal, which is Wa, he decided to conquer from there. There were military group who sit on the horseback. And so they were very effective in their military tactics. And in the Ula Japa, the son of Dingolo Japa, who is also a powerful warrior, he named in the Ula means the master. And then the Japa means one who is an effective or expert holder of spears. That is the meaning of his name. In Deure Japa. In Deure Japa. Lante. That is the full name. So in Deure Japa, who is ably aided by Malam Fatigi Murope, the name Pe means Abino. So it shows that it was an Abino Malam who led them. So when they moved all the way from Buena, he conquered southward to a place he called Nyanga. So at Nyanga, he founded his cottage called the Yabum. Yabum will become the place where they will stay, sit, and then that place will become the kingdom of the, the, the become the center of the kingdom, the headquarters. So from there, they started conquering communities. And they have Pembe. Pembe, for instance, the area, the Pembe area, which is called the Salaga Enclave. It was then dominated by the Nanumbes. The Nanumba people were there. So they routed the Nanumbes within that community and swallowed them and created the Salaga areas, which became the Pembe area. So there too, he appointed his son. What Ndeula was doing is, was that when he conquers, he ensured that his sons are given that community to rule. So the Pembe Ula is then became the leader. So the Ula means the chief or the, the lord of the area. So you still see the autochthonous Guan language still embedded in there. Then he moves on to also find, uh, started expanding his territory when he reached the community. So he started fighting southward. And he fought all the way to the kingdom of the Bono areas. That's, so he has moved all the way from the white black water all the way to Oti River Enclave in the Bono areas. And he invaded there twice. First, under the king Brimpong Ketechra, he was able to defeat the Bono, uh, the Bono Manso people. And then, the, as a result of that defeat, King Brimpong Ketechra had to commit suicide. In around 1590s going, 1590s thereabout, as around 1593 or so. 95. 95, thereabout. And then, he reinvaded the place again in the 17th, century, yes, uh, 18th century. Yeah. So when he, he came there around that time too, he was able to defeat the Bruno people again. This time, entering Kentampo areas and expanding the territory. That is how Panay was, was also became part of the, the Gwenja communities that were found there. Today we call it Panay. It's from the Mbanya language, Pana, leave it. When you reached there, there was an old lady there, and when they were conquering, he saw the town has an old man standing there. So his warriors asked him, should we do something to him? He said, he spoke it in the Mayana, Pana, leave the old man alone and let's go. And that is the plan, community you know, which is now a traditional area. So when he defeated the Bono people to this time, under the king, Afana Diamono. Afana Diamono was so embittered by it that he also committed suicide. So that is how far so to the Japan. south, they conquered to the Bono side. To the Bono side. And then from there, they started to make upward migration again. This time, starting to get a lot of uh, 
lands. And one of the major players that was of envy to them is Daboya, which was under the power of um, the Dabombers. So they, they fought the Dabombers and defeated under them. Now, uh, now the Dariziogo. Dariziogo. Uh, and then the Dariziogo was killed in that war. As a result of these incursions that were killing the Dagomes, the Dagomes moved away from their capital, which was below the Black Water, and then which was called the Yendi Dabari. And then they moved upwards until they reached Chari, which was the community of uh, Konkomba people. And then they routed the Konkombas within the community and then settled there and created the capital, Yendi. So the Yendi today was originally the home of the Konkomba. So that also goes to explain some of the historical friction between the Konkomba and the Yendi people. So that is how it happens. And then they went on to take on some of the Dagomba territories and they expand them. So they have the Bale, Bale there. And then they have finally have their seven areas, most important so areas. So that's Pembe, Tuluwe, yeah, Tuluwe Wasipe, Wasipe, Kusou, Kusou, Kusogu. Was, uh, that's where Jinapo, yes, Yape, so Kong, Kong, Kadia, and Kadia. Bole. Yes, those are the seven divisions. Very good. However, in the 18th, that is where, on, back in the day, the one who can become the Yabonuria, the overlord of the Gonja kingdom, must come from this seven chieftaincy area where the chiefs are. Any of the seven chiefs could be. But in somewhere in the 1880s, there, 18, were yes, there was a war. That was staged by the Kong, supported by Kadia, against the Jabonura. And as a result of that, this would have affected the rotational system that was being practiced. That the chieftaincy moved from one of the communities to the other. And as a result of that, the two communities, Kong and Kadia, were removed from uh, becoming elected as the Jabonura. So you said already that there were people who were in the community before the Mende warriors came. Yeah. And so is it that they merged with them? Or they, because it, it didn't seem as if they killed the locals. Yeah, so when they will fight you, when they defeat you, then they uh, sort of uh, absorb you into them. So most of them, according to the, most of the um, oral tradition for some of the other ethnic groups, as the Japa tradition from the Gonja side sort of seek to say he fought some of the Aboriginal or the Autochtones, the Autochtones on their versions also say that sometimes they just gave their land to the to the Empire people willingly. These Autochtones described at Yamesi say they gave this land to them willingly. And that is why they are the earth priest, which is called the Tendanes. So if you go to somewhere like Pembe, for example, the Kusalura, which is the owner of the land, for instance, is an Autochton. Why the chieftaincy belongs to the Mbanya people that came from the Mende. Mm. And uh, even the Nawuri, as well as the Intuburu people who were there, who through the 1928-1932, through the indirect rule, also were swallowed to be part of the Gonja kingdom. So you realize that back in the day, the Gonja Kingdom was uh, amalgamated all around with sometimes weak powers. But their powers was, uh, was strengthened by the indirect rule, which established the, Goma, uh, the Gonja traditional area or authority with the powers given to the Yabonura 
to administrate. So the Intugurus, who were independent on their own, the Naguris, who are independent on their own, all came under the Gonja traditional area. When we look at the current Ghana, the biggest region is Savannah, which is predominantly occupied by the Gonjas. And I think that sort of speaks to the power of the Gonja kingdom in those days. Because you talk about conquering all the way to the south. Did they conquer towards the Oti River at all? Did they go across to the east? Yeah, so they have people all the way to Bupe. All the way to Bupe, okay? You talk about Daboya, you talk about uh, Kusegu, all those areas. So you see that it was a consensual effort that they, they were able to, you know, expand until Andani Siligi emerged from the, uh, how do you call it? The from the Gomba side and then defeated the Gonjas in taking back some of their lands. That would have made Gonja one of the vast uh, uh, territory within the northern territory. But of course, and, so the, the, the Gumbes fought back and sort of took back part of the land. But eventually, they would all fall under Ashanti rule, right? Yes, eventually, they fall under Ashanti rule during the Ashanti war of expansionism. So what that happened was that when Ashanti was at its apogee, they also decided to conquer the Bunu areas. So some of the land that had been taken over by the Gonjes also fell under the uh, power of the, As the Ashanti. So Asante moved all the way, even into the Gonja there, conquered the Gonja people, uh, uh, defeated the Gonja people, defeated the Dagomba people. Okay? That caused a lot of... So that is where they get a lot of their slaves to sell into the trans-Atlantic slave trade. So in, for instance, when they defeated Gonja and then the Dagomba, they were to pay about 2,000 tributes of human beings as, as the annual tribute to the Asante kingdom. And this forced them to go and fight to the neighboring autochthonous communities that don't have centralized chiefs. So they raid the, the Konkoma communities, they raid the Bimoba communities, they raid the Ntugurus, and so on, and they get the human beings, and, they, and these are the undercurrents that serve as some of the conflicts that we witness in the Northern Territories. This is the Heritage Month, our own series. Today we are looking at the Gonja as we traverse the Savannah region. My guest is Kwekuda Kwankra, trying to understand some of the key issues. Um, I just want to talk a bit about language, because you, you've discussed the Guans in the past, and then you've spoken about how a lot of the languages that the, I can call them the migrant groups speak, actually borrows from the Guan language. Is that the same that happened with the Gonja, i.e., even though the Mendes were the conquerors, the indigenous language is actually what is spoken, so that for some reason, con conquering the area did not dilute the language of the, the people who still lived within the Gonja area. Can you elaborate on that? So to elaborate, and, and a study by, by Professor Dakobo, late Professor Dakobo Crops, who is a linguist, talks about the fact that, you see, the, men, the people that can, came, they were not like uh, the, 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 the Mbanya people that came, who are the rulers of the Gonja uh, traditional areas today were not as many as the aboriginals. As you see in the Akan Asante migration, the, uh, the Ewe migration, where they came and the autochthons were small. So what they did, because they were conquerors, when they conquer you, then they put their uh, the sons of uh, Japa on them. And so they rule. So what happened is that because the Otterstones were many, 
their language rather intermingled and produced with them and joined that of Mende. So the Mende language itself in the Mbanya or Mbanyato language today, you cannot trace it, it's just minimal. But you can have majority of the Guan languages of the Yamesi, which is now what is being spoken. That is why uh, former President Omahama will say, I am a Guan and I am an Aboriginal. Because it is the Aboriginal language which is still being spoken in the Gunja community. So this Damputu, Beri and these groups, their language is what still yes, has become the Gunja in language. The, in the community. Mm -hmm. You see, some of the languages are even dying, mm -hmm. like the Empire. The last time uh, we said was done by Blanche and Co. Around 1960, there were only about five speakers. And right now, I don't know if there's any speaker at all. Because it's merged with other languages. Uh -huh. the, the, when, but one of the most famous mosques, iconic, is called the Larabanga Mosque. It's in Gonja land. It's in Gonja land because of the Muslims that follow the Kramu, eh, the, Kamat, the Kamate people that came. It was a holy man. Were, so they, were they with the Mendes or they came separately? Oh, they came to join. They also came to join. And some of the Kramu also, apparently, as I said, uh, Fatigi Murepe was also a Malam. So he and his people too were, some of them were Malams that were giving spiritual support to in the rural Japan in his war of conquest. And then the Kamate people who also moved all the way from Saudi Arabia and they were holy men. So last season, we, we discussed Larebanga alone and the history and origin and how they were positioned within the Muli National Park. So that episode, anybody that watched, I oh. went very detailed. It was on its own for over 40 minutes. I see. So we see at that variant of the Aranga Mosque across West Africa, it seems like that's the, the, the architecture that influences a lot of the mosques around. Because when you drive in the enclave, you see different types of the Aranga Mosque. Yeah, There's an attempt, you know, it's an architectural masterpiece. So others have tried to sort of, you know, imbibe that. And that sort of thing. But the Larabanga remains the holy because its formation alone, it is true the vision of God that was given to the Malam for that one. And this is the same Malam who supported. No, no it's it a was different. different. That's the Kamate people. It's a different. So they speak different language, Kamara language. Their language is different from the Mbanya. So when you go there, they are speaking different language. They are different, unique people on their own. And they are all Muslims. So they associated with the name Kabara a lot in that community. In, in some of the places like Dag, in Dag, Dagomba areas, Islamic tradition has been mixed with traditional rulership. So it's a nice blend and so, somehow they're able to coexist. Is that the same with the Gunja? Where yeah. if you go to some of the Dagomba chiefs, they are strong Muslim but also are able to manage their traditional worship in a very nice way. Is that how the Gonja area also is? That is what is associated in the Northern Territory because yeah. of the influence of the Islamic uh, uh, groups within them. If you go to the Akan group in the Anufo area, you know the Anufo people, they are called Tokosi. They are in uh, Chirpan, uh, of a Chirpani area, all the way to Sasan Mango in Togo. And the Akan people that come from the Baule enclave mm -hmm. uh, in Ivory Coast move all the way up there. And this about uh, the Anufa people, and they are called the people of uh, Anno, that also went to stay there. They also mingle some Muslims. So you see that within them to this Islamic tradition, among the Mampurisi, you see the same blend of things also going on. 
uh, in religious studies, if you talk about that, we call it syncretization. So you see this religious syncretism, a mixture of some the indigenous values, practices, and ritual performances within the Islamic tradition. Mm. And that has blended very well because that is also a way of unifying people without bringing some sort of oppression that you worship this, I worship that, that sort of thing. So that is how the religions have coexisted side by side without any rancor in society. I think when they wanted to choose a capital for Savannah, initially there was a lobby for it to go to Salaga, but eventually Damongo won. Historically, Rida Salaga had an important market, and then but Damongo seems a bit more central geographically. Yeah, so, so, so what happened was originally the capital was at Nyanga, where the Njewule uh, Japa built a, a, a camp at Yabom. That is why we say the Yabom Ura. Around the Yanga, the, the Yabom started the whole place. So in the so where Yabom is what the Yabom, like I see from from the how do you call it. Oh, okay, it's something about like a warrior or a leader, somebody, a military person. So there were a bunch of, uh, a group of warriors there. So you hear the term Mbangura, that sort of thing. So okay. that is the Mbang, the Yabong where the master or the ruler or the warrior mm -hmm. and his people were. So when he created that one, then he proceeded to, from Nyanga, according to J.M. Brahimah, by 1888, there around, they moved their capital from that place all the way to Damango. So Damango became the uh, place where the Tabungra. But Salaga was an important no, trade route. Number one, Salaga, uh, we, uh, in fact, back in the day, there was a, one of the trans West African trade routes, or what we call the Saharan slave route, all the way from Kano. Uh, it's called the Fatashi. That is the horse trading all the way from Kano to Salaga to come and buy cola. Because you know that was that important rely on cola. And as a result, some historians have heard that Salaga was the biggest market in Africa, if not the world at the time. So all people from all walks of life, people were moving from the Asin enclaves, people were moving from the uh, Fanti, some people were moving from, in fact, from all the southern ethnic groups. They were selling things they have bought from the Europeans, they were sending it to Bego as well as Salaga. They were the two major markets in the, uh, in the northern enclaves. And they also buy some of their wares there, uh, uh, the Sahelian dresses, as well as, in fact, spoons, other architecture, because they were people who were known for metal technology. So when they produce there, they also bring it back from there to the... But there was also a slave market there, because I recall I'm An another author <laughs> wrote about his visit to Salaga, I think Theophilus Sokoku, a Presbyterian catechist who walked yeah. over three weeks to Salaga it, and discussed what he saw, very developed town, but he also spoke about the, the, and this is around 1840s, about the remnants of the slave trade in Salaga as well. Yeah, so as you know, he will see it at that time, because at that time, the Northern Territory had not come officially under the uh, British uh, jurisdiction. It will do so by 1901, before the Northern Territories. They were just protectorates. So the British law did not have teeth like the way it was operating within the Southern colony. The same also applied to Ashanti. 
In fact, administratively, they had the straight uh, commissioners over there. But the southern colony had a governor who was ruling with much powers. So what happened is that even you talk about Ashanti, they also joined by, after the Yasantua War, before they became part of the British territory, as also a different uh, zone, protectorate being uh, administered by a district commissioner. Until 1946, Alamben's constitution, before even Ashanti will become legislatively administrated under so, the... So Salaga was... So the Northern Territory too yeah. became effectively under the uh, British, after the Kuse constitutional reform of 1948. That will make the Northern Territories become part. But for effective administration, the indirect rule from 1930, under the Gonja Conf uh, Conference, Okay, the Yape Conference was something that ensured the power of the Gonja community, bringing under it the autochthonous communities. Apart from the four that we mentioned, the Berry, Mamputu, and then the other one, what's Chopa the name? and uh -huh. Then they also brought the Nkumurus, the, the Bimobes, as well as the Nauri under the Gonja community. And that expanded and uh, gave strength to the Gonja community to compete effectively with the Dabons, the Nanu, uh, the, uh, the Dagomba, the Nanumba, as well as the Mampurisi, who were the effective uh, centralized states within the Northern Territories. Fascinating stuff on the Gonja. This is not an exhaustive history. These are footnotes and sort of uh, highlights as we drive around, trying to get a proper picture of aspects of our history. Today we are in the Savannah region with Kuku Daku Ankara and we've been talking about the Gonja. My name is Ben Abler. Thank you for watching. We'll be with you next time with another interesting edition.